I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which I am recording, the Wadi Wadi people of the Darawal Nation, acknowledging their elders past, present and emerging. I wish to also acknowledge those listeners with lived experience in mental health and suicidal thoughts and behaviours. I extend this to those families, friends and carers who might be bereaving a loss through suicide. I had the exciting opportunity to speak with Dr. Romani. You may know Dr. Romani from the mental health education channel MedCircle, her online workshops, or her series with Kendall Jenner for Vogue YouTube titled Open Minded. Earlier this year, Apple News recommended an article published with Eon Media on gaslighting, its origins, its stages, its characteristics, its impact on the gaslighted individual, and how we can support someone being gaslit. This article was written by Dr. Ramani herself. Immediately after finishing this article, I emailed her to say how illuminating and educational it was to the ominous experience of gaslighting. If you are unaware of what gaslighting actually is, this episode is perfect for you. To summarize, gaslighting is at its core the abuse of power and or authority over another, purely to combat the gaslighter's own insecurities. Grooming and secluding the gaslighted individual through consistent undermining, provoking the gaslit individual to question their knowledge, relationships, trust circles, mental health, and sometimes sanity. We trap first-person, relational, societal, organisational, and systemic gaslighting, as well as the tinder we are all subject to, priming us to be victims of gaslighting itself. In this episode, we discuss gaslighting, mental health, domestic violence, and emotional abuse. If you or someone you know needs help in their mental health journey, please contact Lifeline on 131114. Thank you so much for joining me today. I guess jumping straight into it, I read your article recently, actually at the beginning of the year, and it was so enlightening. And this is a topic that a lot of people are starting to become aware of and starting to actually hear a lot these days, and it's sort of entering the public sphere, I guess. To kick us off, what is gaslighting? What's its origin, where it got its name from, power dynamic, etc.? So gaslighting is the denial of another person's reality with the goal of leaving that gaslighted person, the other person, feeling as though they are losing their minds, that they've gone mad, they've gone crazy, so that they can, so that the gaslighter is better able to control them, right? So the term gaslight came from the, I think it was the 1940s. 44. Gosh, I'm forgetting the date, but um, from a film of that name, which actually was based on a play. And it was the the version released in the United States uh, starred Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer. And the, the premise of the film basically was that there is a man who marries a woman and proceeds to, and, and they move into a house that was very meaningful to this woman. And things start happening in the house. Basically, he's lying to her where he's going and there's all these things happening in the house and he says you're crazy none of that's happening you know what what you you know and and it's it's clearly happening and everyone else the gaslight the the house staff the cleaning you know the the housekeeper and all of that and everyone's saying we're not hearing anything and it's very clear something's clearly happening and so what happens is you watch Ingrid Bergman slowly lose her grip with reality. She becomes more isolated. She doubts herself more and more. And then I hate to ruin the film for people who watch it, but the literally that word gaslight, like it was only the movie that gave birth to the word 
And they call the they called it gaslight because the thing that was happening in the film that was confusing the woman, confusing Ingrid Bergman, her character's name is Paula, was that the gas lights in the house, because it was before electric electric lights in a house, the gas lights in the house kept because basically he was turning on gas lights in another part of the house and gas lights are an interdependent system so the more of them that are on they all start to dim so he would be turning on these other gas lights telling her he wasn't the gas lights would dim and he'd say the lights haven't changed at all there's something wrong with you for thinking that and that's love a great metaphor really came from that film and then you know it it sort of it's interesting it didn't really enter the public conversation that much at the time therapists probably started throwing the term around in the 60s 70s 80s like you know it was a therapist term if you will and then honestly in the last 15 years it has entered the popular conversation but the word has been there since the late 30s from that movie from the film that's really that's Mm -hmm. so cool so that's where the term came from but what gaslighting is about it is about slowly dismantling someone it's not something that happens one time so if you are with somebody and one time like talking to a friend even and the friend says i never said that i that never happened you'll say oh my goodness i know it did but it happens only one time That is a gaslighted experience, but the larger experience of gaslighting is really a grooming process. It's a person doing this to someone over and over and over again to the point where the gaslighted person either says, I'm out of here, or they keep, in order to maintain the relationship, they almost have to give in to the reality of the gaslighter. And then ultimately they give in so much that to the world, it looks like the gaslight head and the gaslighter are in perfect mutual agreement. Nobody has any idea that this is actually a gas, you know, that this is a gaslighted experience because it looks like they're on the same page with each other. And it's very much about being able to have full power and full control over another person to the point where they're just sort of going along and um, not questioning it and even seeming like they agree with it. Gosh. And I guess because they seemingly are in unison, there is no sort of indicators for those loved ones and those around them to intervene or support or uphold the gaslighted person, right? It's exactly right. So if the gaslighting process is fully completed from beginning to end and somebody comes into a gaslight situation in the end, they're often going to think all these people are on the same page together, almost like what you'd see in a horror film, right? If a person comes into this experience, so like somebody's in the early phase of being gaslighted, their reality is being denied. And this was actually an interesting part of that film because that's actually what ended up helping this lady. If it even takes one other person all it takes is one person saying, they didn't say that. All of a sudden, the person... Yeah, hold up. <laughs> lack of a better word, just for our point here, say the victim of the gaslighting, the victim of the gaslighting, see, I knew it. And that almost gives them enough strength to not keep, in, keep being gaslighted, which is why the gaslighter has to isolate the person they're gaslighting. Because without isolation, there's too great, there's too great a likelihood of a dissenting opinion, like someone who actually doesn't agree with the gaslighter. So they will try to isolate them. Or what they will do 
is they will devalue the other opinions. So let's say somebody, this is happening in a, again, I'm going to use a heteronormative example. So, you know, bear with me for a minute. But the husband um, gaslighting a wife, okay? But then the wife, it, and it happens in front of the wife's mother. And the mother says to the daughter, that you, he's, he's saying things to you that aren't true. The daughter then says, listen, even my mother's thoughts not true. The husband will then start painting the mother as though she has something wrong with her. She's never wanted you to be happy. I remember you once telling me da 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 and will then attempt to create doubt in the dissenting voice. Make sense? My gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Continue to isolate them almost within that cone of silence. Even if they get a supportive voice, they will then, the gaslighter will try to, you know, to try to undermine the quality of that, that supportive voice and say, oh, they don't want what's best for you. They've never wanted what's best for you. They don't want to let go of you. They don't want you to be happy in this marriage. And there's enough of a kernel of truth to that that the person being gaslighted will say, oh my gosh, what if they're right? And this this gets really tricky. In order to gaslight someone, the gaslighter has to have some, they, the other person has to want to trust them or view them as some level, with some level of expertise or authority. That's why leaders are able to gaslight people. Because people assume and presume of an authority. That's why doctors, if they wanted to, could gaslight people because they're presumed have an authority. Even a mechanic could gaslight you because a mechanic knows how your car runs and you don't. Right. And so, yeah, some form of expertise over the individual. And since the person being gaslighted wants to believe in the gaslighter, maybe they've fallen in love with them, or maybe they want the relationship to work out. They will, they will initially say, Oh, they're right. Maybe I did misremember that. Not everyone remembers everything perfectly. So those are the way they, Sort of the gaslighter takes advantage of the willingness of most people to engage in giving someone else the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. How enlightening. And I guess that's been, I know having, I've had gaslighting or gaslighted experience. I don't believe I've had anything, uh, although questioning reality now, anything that has been a continuous gaslighting experience. Jumping back prior to the the film with Ingrid Bergman, was there a term or was it sort of conceptualized that that notion or that process of gaslighting or was that more linked to something like narcissism? I'm going to be frank with you. I don't think we had the conversation then. We're talking about the early to mid 1930s. The conversation in psychology and mental health was at a very different place. The roles by gender of people in relationships was in a very different place. I, you know, for example, I'm saying I'm using a heteronormative paradigm. At that point, there were not healthy, there was no healthy literature or conversation in the mental health space about uh, queer relationships or same gendered, you know, really none of that was out there, right? So we would only have been viewing a, the, the, an example where there's certainly more of a hegemonic male patriarchy that would, you know, so for them to have more power had made them, it actually made sense. So who was going to question but that was the, that was the baseline. That was the presumption at that time. So I just don't think that conversation would happen. That idea of full control in a marriage was normative. 
time. So, and sadly, so too, like, for example, issues around domestic violence or, you know, intimate partner violence, that didn't even become part of what we would talk about till the 60s or 70s. Until then, the violence happened with tremendous prevalence with absolutely no place for a person to get help. So I actually think gaslighting was probably extremely normative at the time, and it wasn't pathologized. This movie changed the conversation, but it really didn't enter the mental health or public conversation, probably on the front end in the 1970s. Wow. You just think of all the victims of gaslighting relationships Mm -hmm. prior to that. And I guess how uh, on the cusp this screenwriter was and, and I guess the adaptation I could not. I tell people you have to watch this film if you haven't. People, oh, it's yeah. black and white. It's so old fashioned. I don't <laughs> think they could make that film better now. And I usually don't say that. I'm like, oh, they could take this model. It was brilliant. Like they didn't miss a beat in terms of what gaslighting is, I guess, because they conceived of it. But like what happened? They, yeah. <laughs> Even though it felt old fashioned, right? With the gender roles being the gender roles, it was really interesting, Samuel. I had. As part of it, I, I am on the faculty of a leadership institute for women who are coming up as leaders in the field of psychology. And I had them watch this film as part of sort of their homework, if you will. And what was interesting to me is how many people were frustrated and angry about the film because they are like, why didn't she speak up more for herself? And I actually felt angry because I thought she's being gaslighted. She's being manipulated. You know, that's why, because she She'd lost her voice. And that happens, I think, honestly, every bit as much as it did in that film in 2021 as it did in the 1930s when the film came out. I think that I was surprised that people who I thought should be pretty evolved were getting frustrated at the passivity of this woman. But I think anyone this is done to starts to feel really helpless. So I think that everything that was happening to that woman also happened to people every day in present time. So even though it feels dated, it's actually not really that dated. And so incredibly present. And I mean, we could dive into all the discussions around, like you were saying, those those power shifts and those classic or, or baseline relationships uh, sort of structures prior to this film and, and, you know, that existed prior to the 1960s, 70s, where it was the male as the, the husband, arguably, as the, the head of the house and, and over all decisions and that's arguably society gaslighting from a perspective any woman or any individual submissive to someone higher and then i mean exactly we've seen it and i guess we've also seen it within the COVID perspective of those conspiracy theories coming out around other government gaslighting us so the government sort of coercing us into this this whole notion because we trust our government in in their power what does the literature say? And I guess me- mental health literature continually gets better and better or more intuitive. What is the literature currently saying around gaslighting and, and I guess for the gaslighted as well? You're going to be surprised at this. There's almost no literature on this. And I came to find that out when I wrote the article for Eon that you actually had read. I went, I'm like, oh, yeah. right to the scholarly literature. And I'm thinking, oh, I must have spelled it wrong. You know, I go into the, these big... Maybe it's got a hyphen. Wait a minute, maybe I didn't spell that right. Or, And I thought, what? There's nothing out there. The, the few articles that are out there 
in the psychology literature are sitting in obscure psychoanalytic writings. Okay, so psycho, so and you know, psych, orthodox psychoanal, psychoanalysis isn't practiced by the majority of providers. Most people don't read these journals. So sitting there, every so often it would be peppered into an article here or there about domestic violence or coercive control. Where I actually found mm-hmm. more, and then there was a lot of stuff on like institutional gaslighting and like a lot of the organizational workplace literature talked about it. But what was really, really interesting is that one area where the literature is actually decently robust was in the um, was in the philosophy literature. There were people like yeah. there was a chap named Andrew Spear who was a professor in the Midwest, very, very smart, smart guy, actually, he helped me with some of my thinking on this, really is doing fascinating work. And another woman whose now name is slipping me, oh, Kate Abramson. These are two philosophy academics who have written about gaslighting and really done a beautiful job. But they're arguing it from this very, very kind of epistemic place, like based on how when you dissimulate knowledge, it doesn't get at how it hurts somebody. Does that make sense? So they're talking about gaslighting very much from a, from how arguments are constructed, as, as a philosopher would, right? It's dispassionate. But there's almost nothing in the mental health literature. Like I said, some in the organizational space, like how it's done in workplaces and all of that, but nothing in the mental health space, which was fascinating to me and troubling because for this reason, this word gaslight has ended up a lot in the self-help literature, but it's not anywhere in the traditional psychology literature. So people don't learn about it in graduate school. People don't learn about it when they're training to be therapists. And sure, plenty of therapists know the word or their clients will come in and use it, but it's not taught as the abusive, manipulative space it is because really gaslighting qualifies as emotional abuse. To try to leave someone feeling as though they're insane, so you can control them, is abuse. Yeah. And I guess that's been a majority of that, like we sort of touched on before, has been a social conditioning or a social learning theory that we've come to understand gaslighting and and all of its facets. Going back a little bit, uh, talking about the relationships and man-woman, queer relationships as well, and the contexts in which it happens like we were organizational and structural who is the gaslighter in the relationship is it i guess you were talking about the mechanic even being the gaslighter someone who has power or authority or knowledge over the other so there's gaslighting and there's gaslighting it's almost like small g and capital g right so a small g gaslighter could be someone trying to sell you something you know like you saying my car doesn't make this sound or my car's driving fine. And the mechanic's like, no way, no way is your car driving right. And I think, well, yeah, it is. I know my car's driving right. We've that's all been there. <laughs> that's a form of gaslighting, right? Because a person saying, no, I drove my car up and had a problem in months, but you know, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm bringing it in for this checkup. You're telling me this issue, whatever. So, but the mechanic denying that the car is driving fine. That's small G gaslighting. I mean, it's, it's episodic. It's a moment in time, Right. The big G gaslighting is with that grooming process I speak of, right? That it's happening over time. It's leaving somebody really, really doubting their judgment. So, or in their their reality, really, quite frankly, who does this? People, we see it, gaslighting is most frequently engaged in by people with high conflict 
difficult personalities, most frequently narcissistic personalities. So for gaslighting is the, it's, it is a absolutely key interactional tool of the narcissist. It's, it's how they maintain power and control, right? We, so I would say that's where it's seen most often, but we also see gaslighting happens in people who want to hold power or who already hold power, but who hold power securely. So a person who's securely in power, when I say securely, like they're a leader, they're comfortable with their leadership, they're comfortable with themselves, they're not going to gaslight. They're willing to hear other people's opinions. They don't feel the need that they have to make leave them feeling crazy or that they don't know what reality is. Like they don't have that need. They're like, okay, I'm in charge. I'm qualified to be in charge. I'm willing to hear these other opinions. It's an insecure leader that gaslights. And so, or insecure institutions that you're not going to see a secure person gaslighting. They don't need to, but it's insecure leaders, insecure institutions, um, people who are, for example, trying to climb up, like a person who's sort of in the middle leadership, they may gaslight because they want to keep climbing up. They don't feel secure, but those are the people who gaslight. And, um, and, and these are people who are naturally manipulative people who want to control the narrative for whatever reason it is. And it's usually to get them something more power, more money, um, advanced to something else. Uh, but they don't want anything. They, they, they want to keep things in essence. Oftentimes people who gaslight are people who want to maintain the status quo because the status quo is in their favor. Mm, that's quite eye opening, And I guess like I did a leadership course uh, a couple of years ago, and that was one of the things gaslighting wasn't necessarily termed, but a comfortable and a good leader is someone that surrounds themselves with people of different opinions and different uh, educational backgrounds to further their leadership and their driving of, uh, of I guess, a, a force that they're not insecure about, like you said, that it that it is very holistic and they can take it on, they don't have to, but they're open to, to more of a, a discussion, I guess. Going back a bit further, you were talking about, uh, I actually found it really interesting, the grooming process, the, the abuse, the vacuuming, I guess, in some senses. What is that sort of stereotypical stages of gaslighting that we can help identify not only in ourselves and our relationships, but perhaps in someone else's relationship that we're not coming in on the tail end of? So in the early phases of gaslighting, there is, like I said, there's some established authority, expertise, or trust. And a person is attempting to create a relationship with somebody, okay? So those are the early phases. In essence, what's happening early on, that's why I call it a grooming process. The gaslighter is testing the waters, right? So let's say the gaslighter gaslights someone like, oh, you're not remembering this correctly. And the other person's like, yes, I am. I, I'm holding my position. This is exactly what happened. In fact, I wrote it down. And so uh, yeah, I don't know where you're getting that. So if a person did that to a gaslighter, I'm going to be frank with you, early in the game, the gaslighter may walk. And it's this is where it gets interesting. Because the, the threat to abandon is the gaslighter's ultimate play. It's their checkmate. Because people don't, you really have to be, I mean, you have to be almost like the special ops force First trained person to not get gaslighted because what they do is you say no absolutely not this is how i remember it okay and then the and the gaslighter says you know what like 
I don't know. Like, I, it just sort of feels like there's a lot of issues around trust and communication here. And I'm not feeling like this is working out. Now, a really gaslight resistant person would say, okay, if that's how you're feeling about this, I don't want you to stay in something that makes you uncomfortable. But many people will say, oh, come on. I mean, listen, you know what? Let's not fight about this. Like it was a situation. We both kind of having our own version of it. So the gaslighter still has a foot in the door. Makes sense. They use the potential abandonment. Oh, maybe this isn't going to work out or maybe this isn't a good fit. People tend to fight when they feel like somebody's going to leave them. And so they'll say, no, okay, let's find a middle ground. The gaslighter still has their foot in the door. If you truly say, hey, listen, does this make you that uncomfortable? All I'm doing is saying, I'm showing you, you in fact did not remember this correctly. And if it's making you that uncomfortable, then you're right. Maybe this isn't going to work out. I'll be frank with you. At that point, the gaslighter will leave. It's almost like a sale they can't close, a a sale they can't close. Does that make sense? It's like a car salesperson and says, you want to buy the car? And you're like, no, 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 no. And they'll try everything. and, And then they'll be like, to heck with this. I'm wasting my time trying to get this person. I'm not going to get them. They go on to another another um, target. So if a person early in the game understands what gaslighting is, doesn't fall for it, and doesn't fall for the abandonment threat, you would you would have walked away from the gaslighter. Most people aren't built for that. Most people give in, right? So that's so. How come? How come most people give in? Yeah. Because most of us were raised to have pl- to doubt ourselves. Think of how all educational systems are, are created. Competitive, you get an A, someone's better than you, here's a test, you don't really know what you're doing. All, we spend, from the day we walk into a classroom to the day we walk out of a classroom, we spend all of that time basically feeling like we don't know, right? And not, I don't think that it's like people are saying, oh, let's create the educational system to make people more vulnerable to gaslighting. But what it's done is from a very early age, we are taught to doubt ourselves. We are taught to blindly obey. Think about it, right? What are we told? Obey your teacher, obey your coach, obey your priest, obey your parent. They didn't earn that. We just told as children to go along. Instead of saying, if you don't like what the teacher is saying, you have the right to dissent. So we build gaslighters in our culture. I mean, we build, I'm sorry, we build gaslightable people, I should say. We, we, raise our kids, we raise our kids to make them vulnerable to gaslighting because we basically throw them into situations and say, you have to listen, you have to obey, you have to go along. And we give them no opportunity to question that authority. Yeah. And, and I guess those that do question the authority or the norm are ostracized or in Australia, we have the, the tall poppy syndrome notion. Yes. And that tall poppy syndrome, Australia, New Zealand, what that does is it creates a whole bunch of gas glidable people because they don't want to be the one who speaks out. And the more you create that sense of conformity in a society, the more gas lightable that society is. Jeez, this is, this is so mind blowing, I guess, from the perspective that we have all been conditioned to be gas lighted. And I guess, and the whole social structure that plays into that what makes a, a, a an individual who becomes a gaslighter what makes them stand against the grain or or become a gaslighter in that sense to overhaul power a gaslighter can still be gaslighted don't make no mistake about that they're not immune to it a gaslighter could be it's like a big fish eating the small fish 
the gaslighter could be gaslighted <laughs> by someone more powerful than them. Right? So we're all vulnerable. But why does the gaslighter do it? Because the gaslighter needs power to offset the insecurity. Mm. From a gaslighting perspective, what is the, I guess, the ultimate weapon to use? Is it the group? Is it the process of grooming? Is it the, the vacuuming and the, the segregation of, of what their other support networks are? Is it the manipulation side of it? Is there an ultimate weapon? The, the ultimate weapon is that, that the, the threat of abandonment. So I'm going to give you an example. I think this, this is an example I think I originally might have even had in that or earlier draft of that article, but it got too long. So <laughs> let's say people are married, okay? Again, I'm just a heteronormative example. I apologize, but I'm just for the sake of telling the story. So there's a, there's a man and a woman, okay? And the, he, when the man and the woman meet, and early in the relationship, the man knows that the woman has been wanting a certain job. And that job is very, very hard to get. But if she gets it, it will mean success for her and all of that. Of course, and he doesn't think, but he doesn't really think she'll ever get it. Okay. He goes along. And so he goes along and when she says, um, she'll say, oh, golly, you know, I don't know. Should I apply for this one? And he'll say, and initially she doesn't get it. She applies for the job several times, different versions of it and doesn't get it. And he says, oh, honey, it's okay. You know what? It's still, it seems like you still need to develop your skills. Like you're not there yet. What's he doing? He's slowly, he's like, you'll get there, but you don't have it yet. So but she's not getting, but I believe in you. I believe in you. And so he's giving her very mixed messages. That's a, that can be a part of gaslighting. Then the day comes when she gets the job. Okay. She gets the job. He's been gaslighting her all along in other ways too, but she gets the job, but the job means a move of a thousand miles away that they could do. And she says, I got the job. And he says, he doesn't want to move. He doesn't want her to get there. He doesn't want her to be successful. And he's like, wow, congratulations. Yikes. Are you sure you can handle that? Doubting her. He's like, can I? maybe I can't. Gosh. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I think I can do it. I think I can do it. So now she's not falling. But I know I've, I've waited my whole life for this. I'm going to go all in. I've been talking to my therapist. My therapist thinks I can do it. Well, yeah, of course. You, you pay your therapist. Your therapist is taking your yeah. you <laughs> more doubt. More doubt. Oh, maybe I'm taking my yeah. money and encouraging me. No, no, no. I know I can do it. I can know I can do it. Okay. Um, I, I, they're 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 flying me out. And um, okay. Well, you know what? It sounds like it sounds actually like this is really what you want. But you know, you and I were talking about buying a house and having children, and maybe like it does sound like you're making a choice here. Maybe the whole kid and family thing. Maybe that's not for you. You know, like maybe. Maybe this thing with us doesn't fit that as well because, and it's, I'm not saying this will all happen at months. In, in, I'm sorry, in the same moment, it might happen over the course of an evening. Like I was thinking about it, like you talked about family, but I'm wondering, this isn't family's not going to fit in with this new big job. And that's something that's really important to me. So I need to take a minute and think about us, like, and see if us is working anymore. Now she's like, and you see what I'm saying? So they play the abandonment card. And by then, after this grooming has gone on for months and years, you're like, do I want to lose my marriage over this? Or do I want to lose this big ticket thing over this? And, and so they fall for it. 
And so that's just one example of many, how at the end, there's always that big card that the gaslighter can play and and the checkmate. Exactly. Here's where it gets into. I'm going to spoil the movie Gaslight. Too bad. You're, you can put it at the beginning. Spoiler alert. It's been around for 40 years. 100 years. <laughs> so if you haven't watched it. Uh, yeah, yeah. What is so beautiful about the movie Gaslight is how she turns off the gaslight on this guy. Right. So the long story. Right, it's a brilliant scene, brilliant scene, because he has literally driven this woman mad. The thing that ends up saving her is the detective who senses something is not right, and he validates her. He's like, Yeah, this isn't right. So now she's getting her strength. At the very end of the film, the detective kind of handcuffs, ties the guy to a chair because he, he was he had committed a crime. And there was a knife in the room that could cut the guy free. The wife goes into the attic where the husband's chair. And he's like, there's the knife. I'm your husband. Cut me free. But you know what he said? She said, what she says is, I don't know. You're, you're right. A sane wife would cut her husband free. But you told me now for so long, I'm not sane. No, you're right. My husband's right. I'm not sane. Well, I'm not sane, so of course I'm not going to give you the knife because that's what a sane person would do. And I'm not a sane person. So bye. And she leaves. It was so, she hit him, basically hits them back with like, well, you've told me I'm a rotten person or you've told me I lack empathy. or you, So you're right. I don't have empathy. So I'm not going to come. And then they've checkmated them. Then the gaslighter will often say, boy, you're passive aggressive and say, well, you always speak the truth. So you're right. I guess I am. Why would you want to stay with a passive aggressive person? So you hit them back. Hold that mirror back up at them. Yeah. That's so cool. And I guess incredibly, I guess, powerful for that individual to have that realization, to have that moment of like, holy crap, I am actually within this vulnerable position that I am being used. I am being groomed, sectioned off, coned off, and this is my ultimate card. This is this is my royal flush. <laughs> you can play the gaslighter um, by playing into their – so they'll say, you shouldn't apply for that job. You don't know what you're doing. And the way you – you're absolutely right. I'm an idiot. That's what makes this fun. I'm going to apply anyhow, and you, well, let's see how far the idiot can get down the street. And then they'll think, oh, oh, well, you know, you're going to look foolish and say, what fun is life if you don't look foolish? You keep playing their game. Like I said, a lot of gaslighters will get tired of it and they may cut and run at that point because they recognize their tool isn't working. But the majority of people won't do this. They, they, don't, they don't understand what gaslighting is when they're in it and when it's happening to them because a gaslighter knows they're, they're not dumb. Like they're, they're, they're used to maneuvering this territory and it, um, and it can be very, very subtle. And when we elevate it to a more societal scale, it starts getting interesting, right? So it's like somebody working in a company where they can see, I don't know, on the basis of race or gender or something that people aren't getting advanced or something. And the, uh, someone in the company says, I don't know, like, it feels like, I don't know, racially or ethnically or some gender wise, there's, there's a lack of equity. What are you saying? We're an incredibly fair place. There's no genderism. And you're thinking, and everyone in the room is nodding politely, like, yep, they're going along with the head of the company. And you, that's gaslighting. 
right? So then you feel like, hey, I don't have a chance here. But some people don't, until you understand gaslighting, you don't understand that. Wow. I guess somewhat moving forward, but also incredibly stuck in the present, saying that what you said before, that there is no current material or no in-depth material in literature on the experience, even within the philosophy, because it's somewhat removed. How do we know what it feels like to be gaslighted? What gaslighting happens that I guess the, the shifts or the changes within the gaslighted's brain and the way in which that rationalization happens. So when we're being gaslighted, the first thing we do is we doubt ourselves, right? We, we doubt ourselves. Over time, Samuel, what we feel is that, let's say it's an intimate relationship and we want to express a feeling, right? Very One of the most common forms of gaslighting is somebody says, I feel really angry about this. You're being too sensitive. You have no right to feel angry, right? So your emotion is being, you're being told basically your emotion is invalid, a denial of the reality. It's almost like saying, you saying to someone, I'm hungry. And that person saying, there's no way you could be hungry. Like they're saying they're hungry. There'll be a person out. I know what I'm experiencing. (laughs) That's gaslighting, right? So what happens though is over time, the person is told you have no right to feel that way. You're being too sensitive. You're being ridiculous, whatever. That over time, a person feels compelled to provide an evidentiary base for their feeling. I want to play it. Like they might literally come home and say, I want to play you a recording of what happened in my meeting so you can understand why I'm so angry today. Does that make sense? We almost have to give evidence for this anger. Show the receipts. Feeling. Yes. Uh-huh. Or they'll say, yeah. I saw this YouTube video you need to hear, see here so you can understand why I feel angry now, right? The gaslighter's not interested in your evidence. They're interested in controlling you, right? So when you present evidence to gaslighter, they're just going to gaslight more. It's almost like you're getting out of control. So they need to gaslight you even more. And a common game, commonly, people will, will now... I always say you know you're being gaslighted in a relationship when you start feeling like you have to record the conversations. Okay? Oh. So that's the ringer that you're being warning sign. Yes, yeah. Total warning sign. So now the person's like, oh my gosh, this is the fourth time they're saying this never happened. I know it did. I'm gonna start pressing the record button on my phone. Okay? They record the conversation. A day later, two days later, a week later, that other person says, I never said that. And then you pull out your phone and press and then you say, listen to that. At that point, the gaslighter won't say, I'm so sorry. You're right. I did say that. No, 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 no. What the gaslighter will do is say, wow, I knew you were a small, ridiculous, obsessive person, but I didn't know that you were petty on top of it. What kind of petty person records conversations secretly? What is wrong with you? You see what I'm saying? So now the conversation has shifted. What else have you been doing? Yep. Yeah. Blaming and this pathologization of this person who's recording conversations, even though the recorded conversation shows the gaslighter, shows them that they had done, they had actually spoken that, but now the conversation has totally shifted to you defending yourself for recording the conversation. I was wondering, just as you were saying a, a few minutes back, can we actually gaslight ourselves? Absolutely. And self-gaslighting is a huge problem. Self-gaslighting is most commonly seen in people 
who have already been gaslighted. So they were gaslighted as children growing up, they're gaslighted by friends, or they're gaslighted in a relationship. Also, we see that people who are very prone to being to prone to self-gaslighting are people who have been sort of a member of a marginalized group in a society. Okay, whether that's on the basis of race, ethnicity, culture, religion, gender, LGBTQ+, anything like that, already they were a member of a marginalized group. So they were already being by society at some level, right? Those are all, anyone who's marginalized is socialized to doubt themselves. You know, you're not in the inner circle. You're not privileged. So you, you do doubt yourself more. It's just, that's how society is set up. So all of those things, whether it's a marginalized status, whether it's being gaslighted by parents, whether it's being gaslighted by teachers, whatever it is, those, but ultimately if a person, especially if they're gaslighted in an adult relationship, especially if it's in the long term, I write a lot and talk a lot about something called narcissistic abuse. The yeah. interpersonal abuse that happens to your people recent workshop yeah. relationships. Well, a big part of that is because they're gaslighted for such a long time, they start to gaslight themselves. Oh, I'm being too sensitive. I'm the one who's ridiculous. I'm the one, I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm the one who's codependent. Like there's a lot of this self, I'm dumb, low, I'm damaged, I'm mentally ill talk, which then is, is something that then leaves them doubting themselves. So when they're being gaslighted, before the, they, before the gaslighter can do the damage, they're blaming themselves and thus are, are losing touch with their own reality. <sighs> I now feel like I gaslight myself having that information. It's, it's incredibly pertinent for us all, whoever we are, wherever we are, to understand the different or how, how deep gaslighting can run. And almost normalize, well, not normalize gaslighting because definitely don't want to do that, but normalize the recognition of, of gaslighting. When seeking help for gaslighting, what is the role of a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, a GP within that, that sort of understanding and that aiding of the individual, if they have sort of discovered that within themselves, that they are being gaslighted? Well, here's where it gets tricky because not all mental health or medical health professionals understand gaslighting and may go on to gaslight the client or patient themselves. It's a real big risk, right? You know, it, a mental health or medical health professional saying something like, are you sure that happened? That's gaslighting. What we know, for example, when we look at trauma-informed models of therapy, so these are, and I think all therapy should be trauma-informed, is first of all, believe. Believe that. What is the investment in this person coming in here and lying to me? Now, over time, do all clients fully tell the truth? No, but you that's something you learn over time, right? You don't doubt someone out the gate and yeah. <laughs> pain. And I hear you. I understand. I am so sorry. Um, and they're being heard and they're being believed. Therapy or any form of mental health intervention should be a place of validation, Okay. We're validating an experience. And so in that way, um, therapy ends up, can, can really be the anti-gaslight. It can be where a therapist can teach someone, that's gaslighting. That's not okay. Your reality is being denied. Um, that the therapist themselves make sure they never gaslight the client and they validate the client's experience, right? It's even, you know, we see this in the healthcare world where people might have sort of symptoms that don't add up. And, you know, the doctor saying, like, are you sure you remember that? 
I mean, that that's sort of, you know, that's probably, yeah, so it sort of, it, it sort of leaves a person saying, well, maybe I'm exaggerating or maybe I'm making too big a deal of this symptom. And I, I hate to say this, gaslighting by the medical profession has actually sometimes led to tragic consequences of people no longer pursuing a symptom that actually ended up being an early warning sign. And for example, Samuel, we know that um, ethnic minority group members, people who are overweight, there are certain subsets of the population that are more likely to be gaslighted by healthcare providers. And so as a result, their, their early, um, them bringing up a symptom, if it's doubted, the person's never gonna doubt a doctor. So they may feel foolish and not bring it up again and may wait till too late. Gosh, I, I can definitely see that within a, a number of circumstances of, of people close to me where even going to the uh, the emergency department and seeing, by the way, loving the sun coming in. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. uh, was looking due west, yeah. Golden hour. Um, uh, yeah, going into the ED and then sort of being like, we've run these tests, nothing's coming up. Uh, we're going to send you home or uh, even worse, they're presenting with uh, somewhat self-harming or suicidal behavior, thoughts and behaviors. And, and they're being told that here's a Valium, just pop this once a day, you'll be fine. Like whenever you feel stressed. Um, and yeah, that's incredibly disheartening to know that that sort of experience happens. When looking at gaslighting now, within today's modern age and the fact that we all have our phones in the palm of our hand or in our pocket, we're using computers, we're receiving emails, we're watching TV, listening to podcasts, music, whatever it might be. What is the role of technology within gaslighting and, you, you know, both aiding the gaslighter as well as supporting the gaslighted? So it's mixed. It's very, very mixed. You know, one interesting thing that having a computer in our pocket has been able to let us do is when somebody tries to pull the, you know, tries to deny our reality, we can very quickly sometimes look something up that supports like, wait a minute, you know, I'm, you know, that's not true or something like that. But that's not going to help somebody at a moment when it is they whose reality is being doubted. You're, you have no right to be angry or something like that, right? That's different than fact-based kind of, uh, that's easier. When somebody's saying, no, that's not true. The population of this place is this. No, it is. No, you finally look it up. You're like, there it is. The population's 50 million, right? That, that's easy. The fact-based stuff is easy. It's stuff when it relates to things like feelings and, um, and then you not only being doubted, because a lot of people wonder what's the difference between lying and gaslighting, right? Is there, is, right? There's a, there's a difference. So when a person lies to you, it's a denial of fact or a, a, a twisting of fact, right? I'll give you an example. Okay. So you are in a relationship with someone and you think that they're not being fully honest to you, right? And they said they went right. They said they worked late. All right. Well, you don't believe them. And you think they went to the bar with uh, somebody else. And so you go and you drive past the bar and there they are with somebody else. And you say, no, that's not true. You were at the pub with the person I saw you. And the person says, no, I wasn't. That's a lie. Okay. Yeah. Denial. Where's the gaslighting? If they went on to say, I wasn't at the bar with someone, but there's definitely something wrong with you. You're either seeing things 
or you've gone completely mad, or maybe you're just downright delusional for even thinking that. Lying is saying, I wasn't at the bar. Gaslighting is throwing in that part of you're losing touch with reality, you're delusional, you're insane. Why are we even not talking about, you know, you coming and checking up on me? Like, that's the bigger problem yes, here. That's gaslighting. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's yeah. piece on top of it. The the attempt to what we call dissimulate someone's um, sense of mental health and mental wellness. There's something wrong with you. You're off. That's um, when they're pointing out a truth. Right. So the way you so the point they're they're actually stating reality or their reality. And not only is that reality being denied, but then it's being backed up with this idea of there's something wrong with you. So when it comes to things like, is there a gray area? I guess with most things, there's a gray area, but is there a gray area in lying and gaslighting where it's the alternate truth or fake news as was termed sort of 2019-ish? Yes. So, okay. You have a, I mean, in this day and age, it's a lot of these opinions about the, um, what's happening with the, with the COVID, right? Yeah. You say, oh my goodness, I'm so afraid of COVID. The gaslight, or the other person, I shouldn't say the gaslight, the other person says, there's no such thing as COVID, right? Mm. You're now having a fact-based battle. They're denying a fact. It is your reality that there is a thing called COVID, right? But it's so easy for you to get support for your assertion that there is such a thing as COVID, that it's not as profound, if you will, a gaslighting experience. The gaslighting experience really is felt when there is no way, especially quickly, to get that and another another substantiation for what you're experiencing. Like, in other words, you have no right to be angry. That's why people go into couples therapy and a couples therapist would say, she's angry. She has every right to be angry. It's a feeling, right? And so, and then that gives that person who is gaslighted the permission to say, oh, my feeling is valid. I'm not, there's nothing, This my, my reality is I'm angry. My reality is valid. They keep moving forward. Does that make sense? So when it's more fact-based stuff, but I do think that it's a, um, so when you're having these political debates, I'm less likely to call it gaslighting because you're almost having an epistemic argument, knowledge one versus knowledge two, right? It's two sets of, it's two sets of beliefs that are being thrown against each other. Um, to, to the two people, those realities are correct. If the person says, no, there is no such thing as COVID, you're absolutely, you know, there's something wrong with you to think there is. And on top of that, this person is being, is sort of, this person is in it immersed in a place where everyone believes there's no such thing as COVID, that would be more like a gaslighted experience. I uh, started binging a show that sort of has just been dropped on Netflix in the past couple of days called On the Verge. I haven't watched it yet, but everyone's been talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I at first thought, I'm not going to enjoy this, but the more I watched Almost every one of those relationships of those four women have a gaslighting element to it. Some of them have just been small G gaslighted and the majority of them are being capital G gaslighted. And it's incredibly scary how normalistic and expected some of these things are. And 
and how tragic as an onlooker is. Being an onlooker of a friend or a family member or a peer or a colleague being gaslighted, how are we able to support them as the individual who is uh, a bystander? Mm -hmm. Is there any sort of hard and fast? There's tremendous power. In fact, the bystanders are the only ones who can actually really push through the gaslight for somebody else ultimately, right? So if you are watching a conversation between two people and one person's gaslighting the other, right? They're doubting another reality. The bystander can step in and said, her, she feels the way she feels, you know, that's valid that, you know, that you, no one gets to tell her that her feelings not valid or um, you see what I'm saying? So that is an opportunity bystander. The, the impact of bystanders in, in turning off the gaslight is quite profound because now it's like the detective in the film. It's that one person, it's that outsider coming in and saying, yeah, the lights are flickering. Right. And you're like, Oh, I feel so much better. Think of all the times you felt something and you're, someone's like, yeah, no, I feel that too. And you're like, oh, I feel so much better. You know, like now even the only one other person sharing that experience and validating your experience. And that's why people actually quite honestly often go into therapy. It's such a relief off of something. So in real time, like let's say you're at a meeting at work and someone's saying like, no, none of us ever agreed to that. No, none of us ever said we were going to put in that new project. And then someone in the meeting says, no, actually, I have the memo here. It says that last year. And then that person who is in the hot seat, who's being gaslighted, you've really given them one of the most great, greatest gifts. It may not mean the project may never happen, but the gaslighted person no longer feels like they're losing their mind. I have a, uh, a, quite a, a really close friend, one of my best friends, and we are constantly validating each other from our our selves gaslighting each other am i feel am i stupid for feeling this am i wrong in thinking that this and uh it's it's almost a daily affect and it is so wonderful and and we know it within uh i guess peer support within mental health and well-being that that validation and that feeling of i'm not alone in this or i'm not the only person who's experiencing this is so profound in one's experience I guess stemming from that, how do we eradicate gaslighting? How do we, I mean, we're, we're conditioned, like you said, where we're often, you know, there's the hierarchy or the, the food chain. How do, and we often do like we almost everyone does it to an extent to themselves. How do we actually start to move through it and move past it? Is that anything that you you have any concept or or idea of what we can do you have to be acquainted you have to be acquainted with and respect your own reality right to say if i feel sad i feel sad i there's i don't need to give an evidence base for my feelings and so you it means people really giving themselves permission to be to be a healthy to be okay to be right to trust their instincts right it means a person saying I guess we're having different experiences of this, right? It doesn't mean you have to, you, you, you beat the gaslight with your own gaslight. You say, I'm feeling sad. Uh, well, you have no right to feel that way. Well, that's how I feel. You know, that's it. It's not, you know, and, and if somebody then threatens the abandonment, like, well, I guess this isn't going to work out. I mean, I guess it's feeling comfortable enough in ourselves. Cause listen, if somebody's gaslighting you that much, them leaving is probably the best thing that can ever happen to you. 
You know, now in the workplace situation, you might say, I can't afford to lose this job, but somebody can't fire you, at least not by the laws of the United States, because you wouldn't fall for their gaslight, right? There are procedures and things in place. But all of that said, right, it's a, um, I think that it's being willing to, in a very calm, authentic way, to be willing to hold on to your reality, to not feel that your feelings, like I said, require evidence to have people in your life who are your anti-gaslights the people in your life who do say you're not that's not a crazy thing to believe you're not off i understand that or at least be real with you say i completely understand why you're feeling this and i can also tell you that this may not go the way you want you know if you express this feeling to this person you have every right to do that but it may not end up in the place you want right so you but you can always have those people hold on to your reality they don't need to be your yes people right? Saying yes, 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 I agree with you all the time, but rather that they're the people out there who are honest with you, who, but who always hold space for you to have your feelings. You know what I'm saying? And, and say, you know, I completely understand where that's coming from. You need those spaces in your life. And when you have those and you come up against the gaslighting people, you have a place to turn to, to say, this is what happened and be able to get that opinion. But at a minimum, people need to know this is a thing. Like it's something that and really understand what it is. It's also about getting past our own insecurities. I mean, a lot of us feel like we don't, we're not worthy of having our feelings, that our opinions are silly, beliefs are silly. That's us needing to work on our own security so we feel good. But like I said, our systems aren't set up to do that for people. So, yeah. yeah. This has just been such an incredibly enlightening and illuminating conversation around not only the definition, its origins, its stages, how it feels, how we can push uh, literature in this, how we can actually actually represent this, how we can support someone, all of the above. Um, I guess I have one last question. Where, obviously your Eon article is one, but where can we find more? more from and and the film like you said absolutely go find go and watch it brilliant but where can we find more information about you know, gaslighting it, it's it's i when you put the, those there's like i said there is this academic literature out there but that's a little harder for people to find like i said the, the um that Kate Abramson, Andrew Spear are two people, I think, writing some great work on gaslighting, but their work may not be as readily available to people because it is more academic in its writing. You know, what's an interesting place is the business journals, Harvard Business Review, all these business, business blogs that if it's happening to you in the workplace, there's actually been more written there. There's also, though, more and more and more, for example, in the domestic violence world, a lot of people there, if you go to domestic violence websites, you'll find that there's articles about gaslighting there. That community really takes this issue on because it's such a classical part of the domestic violence. Um, it's a way to it's a way to create that power and control that's a classical part of those relationships. So I think that if you put gaslighting into a search engine, you're going to get millions and millions and millions of hits by the way. So I think that the information's out there um, and it's, you know, going to reputable websites or experts that, you know, seem trust them reading like their, yourself like i guess so i, I i'm facing it up say maybe i'm i'm one person who's written on it but others have and i think that it's it, again domestic violence world is where a lot of this stuff has been written about mm -hmm. well dr romani 
it has just been so fantastic. And thank you so much for coming on and providing this actual resource that we can, like you said, we can better support people by being able to call it out and, and see it within our relationships with ourselves and others, but also others' relationships with themselves and, and others. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.